Father in heaven, it really is, as David said, great to be here today to listen to the church respond, not just to one another, but more importantly to you. We're grateful for that chance. Today, as we open our Bibles, we're going to see some things that ostensibly would appear very simple, but really as we make our way through it, it becomes a, a little more complicated. My prayer this morning is that you'll help me be a communicator of the simple so that it doesn't make it complicated. Help us understand this in a way that will allow us to apply it and live it and then allow others to see the life that comes as a result. Father, we're grateful for your presence here with us today. You're the reason we've come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I've discovered through the years that Preaching is a lot like swimming. There's two ways that you can go about it, particularly in a swimming pool. You can either get into the shallow end and wade out a little ways trying to get used to the water, or you can walk right up to the edge and jump into the deep end. Well, preaching is the same way. You can wade through some of the shallow parts of the message so that then you get into the deep part as you've gotten used to everything laying the the groundwork for what we're doing. Typically, that's the type of preacher I am. Today, we're just going to jump into the water. We're going to walk right up to the edge and jump right in. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. I'm going to break one of my own rules. Typically, I don't project Scripture up on the screen. A lot of people will come in and say, hey, we've attended a church here or there where they project all of the Bible verses that they're using throughout the message up on the screen so we can all read it right there. And that's great. It works for them. But the reason we don't do that at Libby Christian Church is I want you to be familiar with your Bible. I want you to know how to use it. And one of the best ways to do that as we go through a message on Sunday morning is for you to turn to all the different passages that we're looking at. But today, there's a reason I want to do this, and we're going to call a few things out of this passage. So I'm going to project it up on the screen. If you want to read it there, that's fine. If you want to read it in your Bibles, that's even better. This is Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. Dr. Luke writes, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now there is obviously a main character in this story. Let's make sure that we highlight that up on the screen so that you can see it. Jesus is the main character. All through the New Testament, Jesus is the main character. This story is no different. There are some supporting roles, though, that come out in this passage. Supporting characters that come behind Jesus to help us understand this. There are at least three of them. Here we go. Or three different times. There's the ten men, the group as a whole. And then we can break down that group and we'll find two other things or two other groups of people that we really need to call our attention to. The next one is the one that returned. One of the ten came back to Jesus. You saw that in this passage. And then there were the other nine. Each of those highlighted 
parts of the story or people from the story have a significant role in the message today. This is the order in which they appear in the the passage that we just read. We're going to mix it up, break it down, and look at it just a little bit different. But I want you to hold on to each of these highlighted individuals or groups of people as we go through this passage. Let's start with the ten men. They're all very unique and at the same time very similar. They have the same disease. That's what's connected them. That's the the commonality between them, the bond, if you will, that they have with one another. Interestingly enough, that bond has greatly increased their worldview. Here's what I mean by that. A Jew and a Samaritan would have never spent any time together, ever. They wouldn't have shared a meal with one another. They wouldn't have sat down to drink a cup of coffee together. They wouldn't have casually had an interchange on the road with each other. It didn't happen. It was not just socially unacceptable, it was unacceptable even within their religions and even within each individual's mindset. Yet all of these men had the same disease. They had leprosy. Nothing else mattered after that. Nothing else was of any concern. They were bonded together by their struggle. They were bonded together by their disease. It's interesting the way that works. We can find all kinds of things in life that bind us together. But when you find a a group of people that are all struggling against the same thing, there is almost an instant relationship between them. And that's what happened here. They all had leprosy. According to the Old Testament, that was a death sentence. Even in the days of Jesus, when this would have happened, it was a death sentence. It was long believed that leprosy was incurable, It was long believed that it was highly contagious. And as a result of some biblical teaching that we'll look at in just a minute, there there was no room for a person with this diagnosis in mainstream society. So they were cast out. They were put outside the city gates. They were put outside their communities. They were put outside their homes and their families where nobody could catch the disease from them. To have a little mark show up on your skin that you believed even for a moment was leprosy, would rob anyone of any joy and typically of any hope. So the Old Testament would teach that when those types of marks showed up on somebody's skin, they were to go show themselves to the priest, not the doctor, but to the priest. The priest would determine whether they were clean or unclean, and if they had leprosy, they were declared unclean and sent outside. Man, what a tough diagnosis. What a difficult place to be. And that's where all these men were at. Now, it's interesting in the Old Testament that leprosy gets equated with sin, and it does. In the book of Isaiah, the first chapter, leprosy and sin closely parallel one another. And Isaiah would use that all the way through his book to demonstrate the ideas of sin. He would help us see that that leprosy and sin is a, a death sentence in its own right. Isaiah would use some of the other teaching of the Old Testament, and we can too. Let's go to the book of Leviticus. I'll show you how these closely parallel one another. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 3. Leviticus 13, verse 3. If you're struggling to find Leviticus in your Bibles, it is the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus. The Bible says, The priest is to examine the sore on his skin. And if the hair in that sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is an infectious skin disease. When the priest examines him, he shall pronounce him ceremonially unclean. Now the same thing happens with sin. 
When sin is more than skin deep, it becomes an infectious disease within us. Just like leprosy, it becomes an infectious disease. As you make your way through chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Leviticus, here's what you learn. That if leprosy is left unchecked, it will spread. Sin is the same way. If it is left unchecked in a person's life, it will spread. When leprosy, you learn this again from the book of Leviticus, spreads, it defiles the body. Sin does the same thing. When it is left unchecked and it spreads, it defiles the body. When leprosy defiled the body to a certain point, and here's what I mean by that, nobody ever went to the priest the moment they saw a red spot on their skin. They held on to hope as long as they could. It was when that red spot started to change or it started to spread that they knew they were going to have to do that. That's when they would go. Their body had been defiled. When that happened, leprosy would always lead to isolation outside of the city. We've already talked about that. Sin does the same thing. When it is left unchecked and it spreads and it defiles the body, it leads to isolation. That isolation happens in hell. Leprosy was a death sentence during those days. So was sin. Still is today. Sin leads to death. It's what the Bible teaches. So we can see the close parallel between the two. Leprosy and sin are almost a a mirror of one another. Now the interesting thing is this. During the days of Jesus, when Luke chapter 17 was being written, people believed that there was no cure. People believed that there was no hope. Today, here's what we've discovered. There is a great cure for leprosy. People are still receiving that diagnosis, even the United States of America. A lot of times we want to believe that leprosy is just a disease that happens in the third world. Well, it happens right here in the United States. Last year, there were just over 200 people in the United States of America diagnosed with leprosy. Over 200 people right here where we live. Nobody ever heard about it. Nobody knows about it. The word pandemic was never attached to it because leprosy, they have discovered today, science and research has discovered this, can be cured. Through a battery of antibiotics and other medications, that's all they have to do. Prescribe those meds, person can be cured. During the days of Luke, particularly this 17th chapter, here's what the lepers knew. There was a cure for it then as well. Just didn't come through medication. Didn't come through the doctors. It came through Jesus. So they went to Jesus. They went and asked him for this special type of healing. And Jesus provided it. Same thing happens for the sinner when we recognize that there is a cure for sin. We can go to Jesus and he cures it. He takes care of it. Isn't that great news? That's better than any medication. That comes right down from heaven. That's God's gift to us. That's the cure for a death sentence. It comes through Jesus Christ. All ten of these men experience the same thing. But let's take a look at the nine. They have kind of a unique perspective. These nine men had lost their lives. They had lost everything. They're living out in isolation. They're having to do what society told them they had to do. Now all of a sudden they had enough wherewithal or enough sense to go before the Lord and ask him for healing. And Jesus provided it. Did you see what he did for them? He said, go show yourself to the priest and you will be cleansed. That's what he said. So all 10 of them headed that way. Instantly, their mindset had to have changed. Now, we don't know how many times they had gone to the priest prior to this story. We don't know how many times they had tried to get themselves declared clean prior to the record in Luke chapter 17. 
none of that is there for us, but we can assume there had been a, a few different attempts. Now all of a sudden, Jesus says to them, you go show yourself to the priest and you will be cleaned. And instantly they turned and left. And they went to the priest. The cleansing hadn't happened yet. They weren't healed yet. But they turned and headed to the priest. And on the way, the Bible says, they were healed. That's a great act of faith. That's a huge act of faith. And in that act of faith, their vision had to have changed from simple survival and definition of life by the disease into the future. They could start thinking about what their life was going to look like now that they had been delivered from this affliction. They were going home. They were going to feel the touch of another human being. They were going to get to go back to work and provide for themselves. They were going to get to use their talents and their giftedness, God-given giftedness, to take care of themselves again. They were going to have a life back. That's all they were thinking. We're going to have our life back. This is going to be amazing. So when they got to the priest and they received that news, where do you think they went? The Bible doesn't tell us. I'm going to suppose they went home. They wanted to go see their loved ones. Now, typically, when we read this passage and we come across the nine, we vilify them. We make them look like they had completely messed everything up. It's easy for us to look at the nine and say, gosh, how could they not do what the one did? Why wouldn't they return just like this other man did? Well, they were just doing what they were told. Don't vilify them. At no point did Jesus say, go show yourself to the priest and you will be cleansed or you will be healed and then come back and thank me. That's not in his instructions. He said, go show yourself to the priest and you will be healed. All they were doing is what they were told. We don't have to turn them into villains, not at all. However, we do have to look deeply at what they received. And in order to do that, we're going to have to jump into the original languages of the Bible. We're going to jump into the Greek language. Now, I've told you this before, if you've worshipped with us very long. I am not a Greek scholar. I do not know Aramaic. I don't speak Hebrew. When I was in Bible college, I wanted to take some of the archaic languages, but the professors told me I had yet to master English, so I needed to stay away from it. So I didn't do that. I am not a scholar. When I use things like this in a a message, I have to find other resources to help me with this. Thankfully, I have a great resource with a a good friend that is a student of the archaic languages. He has many um, degrees that deal with Hebrew and Greek, and he even has started into Aramaic just a little bit. So I called him because that's what I always do. I said, man, I got a question. I need to explore something. But I was having to say that on his voicemail. And then I quickly remembered he is out of the country. So he couldn't respond to my voicemail or my call. That means I had to study this out on my own, and I did. Working without a net, I was able to study all of this out. And if if this is all true, and I believe it is, man, this is cool stuff. If it's not, it's still cool stuff. So here we are in Luke chapter 17. Here's what we we read just right out of your Bible. When he saw them, verse 14, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now it struck me that we have two different types of healing in this passage, and this is the first one. They were cleansed. I got to wondering what that word was in the Greek language. This is what I discovered. They experienced a catharizo healing. A catharizo healing. That's the exact Greek word used at this point in this passage. And here's what catharizo means. It means to be made clean or healed from a disease. 
That's what they experienced. That's what they ask of Jesus. They ask for a catharizo. Make the leprosy go away. Heal us. Give us a life again. And Jesus did. So when we vilify him, we have to go back and look at what they asked for and how Jesus responded. They asked for a catharizo. They received a catharizo. And they acted accordingly. Then as we study things out in that passage, we discover the one man. Let's go back. Here you can see this as we call out the one of them. The one man that came back. Now, he was not Jewish. He was a Samaritan. He was not a follower of God like these other men might have been. More than likely, they were Jews. This man was a Samaritan. He did not have a relationship with Jehovah God. But he received the same healing they did, and then he returned to Christ. You read it right here for yourself. Listen again. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now, as we continue on through the passage, we find out that he receives a second type of healing. Did you see that? It's right down here at the bottom. Now, listen again. Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, at that point, he receives something different than the nine. He receives the second healing. That's what captured my attention as I was going through this passage and took me into places in the Greek language that I don't typically go and had me exploring things I don't typically explore. Here's the second healing. At that point, I knew there had to be a language issue, and that's why I wanted to explore it out the way I did. And man, I am glad I did, because here's the healing he experienced. In the Greek language, it is called a sozo. That's the actual Greek word that would appear, if you were reading this from a Greek Bible, that's what would appear right here. He received a sozo. A sozo healing means that he was healed of a spiritual disease. The nine received a physical healing. The one received a spiritual healing. Big difference between them. The catharizo healing versus the sozo healing. That's huge. Do you know what the difference was? It's right here in the passage. It was a heart of thankfulness. A heart of thankfulness, a heart of gratitude led to the sozo healing. That's what brought it about. Because he remembered who healed him. He wasn't just looking at his life or what he had just had restored to him. He was looking at who restored it and who gave him life. And as a result of it, the sozo healing became a part of him. That's what I mean when I tell you this is good stuff to think about. That's pretty cool. Do you understand that there are still a lot of people today that are receiving the exact same things from Christ? Let's go back into the story. This, after all, is the the main character Jesus is, after all, the main character of the entire passage. Here it is again. Jesus is the main character of everything we're looking at, and he's still doing the same thing. He is offering people caratharizo healing and sozo healing. And a lot of people, when they receive the Caratharizo healing, do the exact same thing the nine did. They just continue on the path that they've been given. They just continue down the the same road that they were on. Only things are different this time because Jesus has touched them. That has all kinds of different looks. It still happens physically. 
People go to the doctor and they they get the long face from the doctor and he tells them that things are not well with their body and so they react the way all of us would react. They start looking for every option and that's a good thing to do, particularly when it drives you into the Bible and teaches you that if you're sick, you need to have people praying for you, particularly the elders praying for you. A lot of people will do that and they receive great healing. They receive great healing. Sometimes that comes through the doctors and sometimes it's miraculous to the point that it stuns the doctors. They've received a catharizo healing. Physically, they've received it. Same thing happens in marriages. Marriages that are crumbling, they're just falling apart. When people decide to get into the Bible and follow the biblical principles that will heal their marriage, they receive a catharizo healing. God's restored the marriage. He's redeemed it, given it back to them, and now they can, they can choose to walk on a brand new path. Happens financially for people. Their whole world has fallen apart financially, and so they open up the Bible and they read the, the biblical scriptural principles of finances and they apply them in their life, and they receive a catharizo healing. And then they just continue on down the path, the road that, that they needed to be on. Other people have addictions and afflictions that cause great needs in their life. And they go before the Lord asking for healing and God grants it. And it is a catharizo healing. Then every once in a while, you get somebody that goes back to God and they thank Him for what He has done. And rather than just traveling the path, they choose to change paths. It's no longer about me and the healing that I have received. It's about the one who has granted it. And at that moment, right there, when they go back and say thank you to God and they choose to give credit to God for all that has happened and for the rest of their life choose to give credit to God for all that has happened, all the good things that have taken place in their life, the blessings that they live under, and sometimes those blessings come in the form of challenges. At the moment that happens, they are living a sozo life. It's a life of gratitude. It is a life that communicates the goodness of God. Catharizo life will talk about the things that God has done, but a sozo life is a life that demonstrates the goodness of God. And the difference, the very thing that separates the Catharizo life from the sozo life is an attitude of praise and thankfulness. It's an attitude of worship. That's what separates it. And it should, beyond all measure and beyond all argument, be the goal of every Christian to live a sozo life, to be counted with the one that goes back to Jesus and says, thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for how you have blessed me. We fall down on our face before him and we adopt an attitude of worship. It is all about you, Jesus, not about me. It is all about you. And when we can adopt that, the praise and the thankfulness begins to permeate everyone around us because our life is a demonstration of God's goodness. And it doesn't get any better than that. A sozo life is the life that every believer should be chasing. And it begins simply in gratitude. Now you may wonder to yourself, how do I get there? I want to live a sozo life. How do I get there? Well, the Bible gives us a pattern to follow. Let me give you just three passages of Scripture that will help you understand this. We'll start in the book of Philippians with the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. Although I do that at at risk of kind of confusing things a little bit, and I don't want to, so we'll make our way through this. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Now that's the passage I want you to hold on to, or the part of this passage I want you to hold on to. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, let's just take the I rejoice greatly in the Lord out of verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, and now pick up in verse 11 with me. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. My friends, that's sozo living. I have learned to be content no matter what the situation. Biblical contentment comes when we understand that God is the giver of all good things. And we're going to look at that in just a second. And when I can look at his provision in my life and give him credit for it, every good thing in front of me, then biblical contentment is happening and we are living a sozo life. Life of gratitude for a a life that has been spiritually restored. We've been healed. So nothing else really matters. The things of the world begin to fall away. The pursuits of the world begin to fall away. We start living in each moment understanding that it was given to us by God and we can live it with a sozo attitude, an attitude of gratitude in contentment. That's, that's good living. That's Christian living. That is sozo living. And there's other ways to do that. James would expound on what Paul was saying. This is James chapter 1. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If you have found a place into biblical contentment, then you know that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the heavenly lights. It's coming down from the Father of heaven as he opens up the floodgates and and allows all of this to be poured out in your life. That's where the blessings come from. That's how you experience them. James says, don't lose sight of that because at the moment you do, you may start giving yourself credit rather than giving God credit. And when we give God the credit, we live a sozo life. But when we rob him of that, we are slipping back into nothing more than a catharizo life. God did this for me, but I'm doing all the rest of it. I'm taking care of everything else. Don't do that. At the moment you do that, you're robbing yourself of the relationship, and the sozo life begins to fall to the wayside. Hold on to sozo living and start in contentment, understanding where the blessings come from. It'll lead you to a place like this. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. True sozo living happens when we take the blessings, contentment, and we put it together with the relationship. Godliness and contentment go hand in hand. When those two things happen, sozo living happens. And we're able to give credit to the Lord for all he's done. I was sitting in my computer yesterday morning wanting to make a a list, ostensibly for myself, but I also wanted to demonstrate for you what a a sozo life might look like. I set out to come up with 10 things, 10 sozo things that I could go back before God and say, God, thank you for this, and fall at his feet and worship him for those things in my life. I started out by just writing a phrase across the top of the page and 
And then I kept on writing, and when I got done, I was kind of surprised with how it looked. Though there are 10 things on it, many things got extrapolated out through the course of this. I'm going to share it with you this morning, and there's some vulnerable things in there, but what I want to encourage you to do with it is go home and make your own. Maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning before you go to work or Tuesday evening after you get home from work, whatever the case might be, sit down and make your own sozo list. It is a perspective-changing exercise. It is a faith-changing exercise. Because you may have, up to this point, only lived in the catharizo, understanding the, the singular things that God has done for you and the healing that has come as a result. But when you make the list, you begin to understand sozo living. And that's what I want you to do. Understand that. As we come into Thanksgiving, this is the perfect time for us to make a list along these lines that we might be able to go before God and say, thank you, God, for what you have done for me. This is nothing more than a pattern for you to follow. It's just mine. Yours may sound completely different. Across the top of the page, I wrote the words, Lord, I'm thankful. And then, like I said, underneath that, I just started writing. This is what I came up with. For a 40-plus year journey with you, It's a foggy memory to think of being blind to what mattered to you. I'm grateful that each day I have lived covered in your amazing grace that allows me to see. Thank you for a wife that shares my passion for life and godliness. You have blessed us through the years with three kids. One son is living his dream, another is preparing for his. Our daughter is getting ready to start the next phase of her life. The great blessing of each is the love that they have for you. Other blessings we have seen through the years include your great provision when there wasn't enough and the same when there was. We've been granted a life of biblical generosity no matter which situation we've been in. That generosity has allowed us to invest in things beyond ourselves, kingdom things. We have adventured our way through the years you've given us so that we could experience life in five states with visits to many others, four countries together with a few more. Five churches we call home and others that seem as close as family. Those adventures have fostered friendships that span nearly 30 years and memories worth dying for. We have fought beside one another and for one another, never alone but always aware of our love for each other and for you that has led to your protective presence. You've granted me a thankful life of purpose that has allowed me to see your kingdom come as one person at a time has walked into the waters of baptism. Thank you for helping me see that though thousands at a time may make decisions for you, you still welcome us all one at a time. I've seen wars fought in the heavenly realm and battles won by your great power. I've been blessed to get out of bed each day, excited to see what you have planned, often surprised as your plan surpassed any I might have written. Thank you for some of the simpler things you have blessed me with. Countless hours in the fields and on the water with my kids and my dogs. Views from peaks and valleys sitting on the back of some great horses. Moments shared with my sons that make me proud. Moments shared with my daughter that leave me without words. The chance to see places that will one day pale in the light of heaven, but today are etched in my memory. Full tables of wonderful food cooked with love by my wife and daughter. A roof over my head on rainy days and a warm fire on cold nights. Sunlight on my face when I need it the most. Friends that care and friends to care for a church to gather with in your name, and a job that allows me to go there every day. But most of all, I am thankful for a sozo life lived with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing touch more times than I can remember, for your protection when I wasn't aware I needed it. 
Thank you for leading me to a faith that saves and makes me well. I pray that nothing will ever touch it as I look forward to the day that I get to see the scars on your hands and feet that demonstrate your love for me and mine for you. Until that day, I will worship you with my life. That's a sozo list. Make your own. Give credit to God for the big things he has done as well as the small. Write your list. It will change your perspective. As it changes your perspective, others will see it and they'll be able to embrace the life of thankfulness that you live because you're giving credit to God, not yourself. It works and it takes you into a deeper relationship with Christ.